day. Uh, I am a native New Yorker, born in New York City, raised on Long Island, and spent the first roughly 32 years of my life there before God moved us to a few different parts of the country. But I've been teaching regularly at a school of ministry in Dallas, and they've got students from about 50 nations there in the school. So I was explaining to them the other day, for those coming to America, if you really want to learn the proper way to speak English, you need to learn the New York dialect. <laughs> yeah, I, I lost a lot of my accent over the years living all around America and traveling overseas so much, but I didn't lose the New York character. <laughs> and um, we lived in Pensacola, Florida for seven years in the midst of great revival and outpouring, but it's, it's a very different culture, more laid back. We would regularly almost get in accidents because when they see a yellow light, they slow down. So, you know, they're right in front of you, so you're already calculating. They're going through, I'm going through, two cars behind me you're going through, and they're slowing down, you almost rear-end them. Um, so one time I'm at the airport, which is just, it's just one terminal, and at that time, six gates. It expanded to 10 gates, but that's it's a little airport. And maybe 10 of us waiting to, uh, to get through security, and a guy comes up to me, I'm, I'm the last in the line, and he says, hey, excuse me, sir, would it be okay? Would you mind if I went ahead of you? Because I got a flight ticket, they're gonna board just any minute now. I said, sure thing, man, get ahead of me. He goes up to the next person, excuse me. I thought, what are you doing, man? I said, hey, this guy's in a hurry, can we let him to the front? It's like, yes, yeah. like, this is the New York way, you just do it. So anyway, glad to be back in a, this culture. People understand sarcasm here, it's, it's delight. Um, but in, in all seriousness, uh, when I do a conference like yesterday, a leadership conference, I know the lives that the leaders are af uh, affecting and impacting, and I know if they can be strengthened, that many others can be changed. And then here, I'm with you one morning. You may follow me online or get our other resources or things like that, but face-to-face, -face, this is... This is our one shot. So I really ask the Lord, give us something significant. Not just another message from a guest speaker, but something significant. So I'm going to deliver the word to you in a moment. Let me encourage you to stop at the, uh, the book table on the, on the way out, straight out the doors there. Uh, we brought four key books with us. The newest one, The Silencing of the Lambs, The Ominous Rise of Cancel Culture and How We Can Overcome It. It's a real intense eye-opener, and, and then it will encourage you as to what we could do. The cover alone is, is worth it. We're sold out of the books, though, but fear not. Uh, there's a way to just order at the book table there, and there are three other key books, so when you get three, there's a fourth one free, so be sure to check it out. Books on revival and the difficult questions believers ask, what do we do with our doubts and problems? So these will really help you and minister to you. And for everyone watching the stream on my sister's phone there, bless you. May the Lord speak to you and minister to you today. Thank you. All right. Feel free to share what I'm about to say. Father, we love you. I thank you for Pastor Greg and the congregation here. I thank you for the environment that welcomes your spirit and welcomes your word. And I pray in, in this time that we have together that you would make a lasting deposit in us that out of my weakness and our weakness, your strength would be manifest and Jesus would be glorified. We ask in his name, amen. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, a simple message, a simple theme, encouraging you to live a life that makes sense in the light of eternity. Live your life in such a way that it makes sense in the light of eternity. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he writes, knowing that he's going to be martyred soon, and he writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. In the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I can't imagine Paul writing words any more soberly than this. You know, think about these things, he's saying. Think about this incredible, intense reality and the fact that one day we will all stand before this king, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We often don't hear a lot of correction and rebuking in modern-day preaching. It's often just encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. Sometimes you hear someone preaching, and you don't know if that's a preacher of the gospel or a success-in-life coach or a real estate agent telling you how to make investments. But because we're dealing with eternal issues, and because we're dealing with people that are going to spend eternity with God or without God, because of that, these are sacred issues, and we must speak the truth in love. And when someone's going in a wrong direction, love requires us to tell them the truth, however uncomfortable and difficult it may be. For the time will come, he writes, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We are not the Apostle Paul. We are not writing parts of the Bible. We did not have Jesus appear to us the way he had Jesus appear to him. But every one of us, at the end of our lives, should be able to say the same words he said in verse 7. It should be our personal goal as followers of Jesus, whether we are one day old in the Lord or have been serving him for decades, that at the end of our lives we can say, I, I have fought the good fight. There's been a battle. There have been attacks. There have been challenges on my faithfulness to the Lord. But by his grace, I have fought the good fight. We should be able to say, I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. Yes, it will all be to his glory. Yes, it will be by his grace. But those words should be on our lips. We should be able to say that, which means that as we examine our lives in an ongoing basis, we should be able to say it in an ongoing basis. Now, please hear me. 
It's very easy to get caught in a Christian legalism where we always feel we have to work harder, where we're never doing enough, we're never praying enough, we're never sharing the gospel enough, we're never giving enough. And if you have a certain personality that goes in that direction, you can hear what I'm saying and it can have a very negative effect on you. My goal is not to lay another burden on someone that already feels burdened. My goal is not to push you harder, push you harder, push you harder until you're just running and running and running and running and there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no sense of purpose, this doesn't flow out of relationship with God. That's not what I'm talking about. Instead, what I want you to hear is this, there is a divine purpose for your life. You have been called not just to be saved from hell, but to serve God. And there are unique things in your own life, in your own life experience, in your own opportunities, in the way that God has crafted you, in the gifts that he has given you, that make you uniquely suited for the job that you have. And when you have a sense of, I'm here for a divine purpose, it's very different than the carnal gospel that we preach in America, which is that Jesus came to make your dreams come true. And that Jesus is here somehow to make you into a bigger and better you. Many years ago, A.W. Tozer wrote an article called The Old Cross or the New. And he contrasted the old cross, which kills the sinner, with the new cross, which redirects the sinner. And I thought after many decades that needed to be updated. The contemporary cross does not redirect the sinner. It empowers the sinner. Jesus is here for you, and your dreams can be fulfilled. And if there's anything that you don't want to do that's hard to do, well, praise the Lord, he has something else for you. And, and, and it's all about me and my life. And he, No, 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 I'm not talking about that. Quite the opposite. God's purpose may mean death to our flesh. God's purpose may mean death to our reputation. God's purpose may mean death to our plans, but when we give ourselves to his purpose, then we really live. Then we find out, this is why I'm here. This is what he's called me to do. This is what he's given me to do. It's not a matter of comparing your life to anybody else's. It's not a matter of you running against someone else's race, but we are here and we are in a race. You can't finish the race if you're not in the race. You can't finish the race and win the race unless you've got purpose and plan. And Lord, I'm here for you. I'm here to make a difference. I was preaching in South Korea some years ago. Been there a bunch of times and was, was speaking on the last day at a, a number of key churches, morning, afternoon, and evening. And it was the last service of the last day. Fine, passionate Korean church. And as I'm preaching, I, I keep having this, this, this urge, this sense from the Lord to quote a particular line from the Chariots of Fire movie, one of the great Christian movies that was made. But it absolutely had no connection to my message whatsoever. And the urge keeps coming up. I'm thinking, how in the world do I get from where I'm preaching here over to this point here? I'm Pentecostal. We can make it happen somehow, you know. <laughs> There's the old tangent anointing, as I called it. Can I, can I just stop for a second and kind of 
I got saved in an Italian Pentecostal church. And one of the unwritten traditions that we had was that if you're really anointed, that you don't use notes when you preach because you open your mouth and God will fill it. So that's how I learned to preach. And although sometimes I'll have detailed notes or use PowerPoint, one of the messages yesterday, to this day it's very common. I teach whole classes at a school without having notes. It's just in my head and comes out systematically. But not everyone is wired like that. And especially when you preach for the first time and you can't use notes, it's a little scary. And, and there were three of us that got saved, the bass player, guitar player, and me in our, in our rock band in that order. I played drums, so the guitar player, bass, bass player, guitar player, and me. And then we were all asked to preach because it was perceived that there was a calling of God on our lives. So the bass player went first and true to form just preached whatever came in his heart and mind. And when the message was over, he and I named it Random Thoughts on Christianity. <laughs> And I heard some guys preach, and there was no logical connection between any of the points. And that proved that the Holy Spirit was speaking to the many different needs of the people. And I sarcastically came up with something called the tangent anointing, which says that trees are important. Well, we'll start here. Dogs are important because, you know, a dog by its bark and what would trees be without bark? And how could we live without trees? So dogs are important. Anyway, back to Korea. <laughs> so I'm, I'm preaching and somehow figure out a way to move, move, and move, and finally get over to this one famous scene in Chariots of Fire, where Eric Liddell, who ultimately dies on the mission field, is explaining to his sister why he's going to run in the Olympics first, and then from there, he's going to go to the mission field. Her thought is, just go to the mission field. Souls are perishing. Go to the mission field. Why are you going to the Olympic Games first? And Eric Liddell said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. At the end of the service, the pastor, who is an American man married to a Korean woman, he came up to me and said, you know, that's my favorite illustration. I use it in a sermon at least once a month. I thought, how interesting is that? Yet another exclamation point to it. I tell you that whole story to emphasize that point to you. God puts you here with a specific purpose. And it says in 1 Corinthians 6, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we conclude if Jesus died, then we all died because he died for us. We die in him. And now we live not for ourselves, but for the one who died and rose from the dead. Paul writes in Colossians 3, you died and your life is now hidden in God. Jesus is not just our buddy. He's our Lord. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in Matthew 7, 21. What's the point? We are here to serve God. We are here called to a specific race. Please hear me. For some, it means preaching behind the pulpit, but for most, that's not it. It means the lives that we live in our everyday lives, that where you are in the place of business, where you are with your family. You are not just here to survive. 
We are not just like animals, just trying to eat and make it through the day, eat and sleep and wake up another day. You may be in a battle for your life right now. You might be fighting a dread disease. You might be in the midst of a hellish divorce. You might be on the edge of bankruptcy, and it feels like you're just hanging on. And this is where the body comes around you and stands with you and, and prays and helps you through. But that's not the end of the story. And even going through the hellish time, if, if you take hold of it, God has a purpose to make us more like his son. God has a purpose to conform us to the image of Jesus and to teach us more about his goodness and to help us to grow in grace and faith and perseverance. That's what Paul writes in Romans 5, that, that when, when we go through these trials and difficulties, it produces perseverance, which builds character, which produces hope. It's a theme through the scripture. And whenever I'm going through something that's adverse and difficult, I try to say to myself, okay, this is a chapter in the life, in a book of your life. This is one specific chapter. And in this chapter, how are you going to come out? How is it going to read? What's your attitude going to be? Where's your faith going to be? And this thing, which in the natural is bad, how can it be turned for good? I cannot imagine living without a sense of purpose. I, I cannot imagine living without some sense of, of destiny. I, I was sharing the gospel in flight one time with a, a Russian businessman, and he said he was raised in atheism with his family. Now in the States, they're still atheists, and they kind of tried other things, but they don't believe it to be true. And I asked him, he had a business that helped people with, with heart problems. I asked him, do you have a sense of purpose or destiny in your life? He said, no. That would be consistent atheism. Not that an atheist can't be a good neighbor or a kind person or do good, but if, if you are a consistent atheist, then there is no God. There is no purpose to the universe. We, we are the, the, the random products, the end results of a freak evolutionary process. Our brains are just neurons firing. Everything is material. There is no afterlife. There is no human spirit. So how can you have a sense of destiny or purpose as if you were put here for a reason? And, and my wife Nancy came out of atheism. We met at 19. I got saved at 16, and she got saved at 19. She was a, a militant atheist, mocked people who were religious, and God miraculously opened her heart and brought us together. But I've never struggled with atheism. I've had many other things that I've worked through theologically and, and that I've really wrestled with and tried to understand. And when I do it, I try to put myself in the shoes of the other people. So whatever group I'm dealing with or whatever the, the theological objection, I, I try to see it through their eyes to better understand it but I could never get my mind around atheism. It just made so little sense to me. I mean, I understand the concept, but I couldn't put myself in the shoes of an atheist. So one night I was praying and meditating, and this is a strange prayer. I said, God, help me to understand the mindset of an atheist. Help me to understand as if you're not there. And I was trying to go there, and I got partway along the way and this thing exploded in me, then there's no purpose to anything. But that's a certain reality. Friends, that's not us. That's not who we are. Nancy in the, the back of our, of our yard, in one of the back of her flower beds, 
has this garbage can buried in the ground, and, and you, you put all kinds of, you're throwing out vegetables or fruit or different things like that, and it, it becomes compost because all these little creatures come out, worms and maggots and whatever, and, and eat it. And my job was to dump the stuff in there. And, and I'd dump it in there, and there'd always be this one little lizard. I don't know what he was, you know, maybe a few inches long. And he, he's just loving it because he's got endless bugs to eat, little bugs and whatever else he eats, and he was probably the healthiest lizard in the town. But he had, a, he had a live, think of it, he had a live in there. And when I look at that guy, I think, you know, some of us are like that. We're just, we're, we're eating to, to live, we're living to eat. There's, there is no purpose to our lives. There is no sense of I'm here for something else. And during the 60s in the counterculture revolution, a lot of us, while I was a hippie caught up in the whole drug scene, we started to ask deeper questions about the meaning of life and about the purpose of life. And, and it kind of went like this. Dad, why do you want me to do well in school? Well, you need to do well in school so you can get into the best college. Dad, why do I want to get into the best college? Well, you want to get in the best college so you can get the best job. Well, Dad, why do I need the best job? So you can send your kids to the best school so they can get into the best college so they can get the best job. So it's like, wait, is that it? Are we just kind of like the, the hamster on the wheel? Just Is that it? When I got saved, 1971, and we were taught the prophecies are fulfilled, Jesus is coming at any minute. So obviously, that's the, you want to see Jesus return. That's still my goal. I'm 67. I'm, I'm, I'm thriving in the Lord, and by God's grace, could have many years ahead of me. But obviously, the clock is ticking. Even if I live to be super healthy into my 90s and, and still serving the Lord, there's a lot less time left now than when I first got saved. And I'm constantly thinking about it. Constantly thinking about, okay, my life and the purpose of it. And, and wanting to see certain things happen. Wanting to see God move in certain ways in the earth. Wanting to see God move in certain ways in Israel with the hope of ushering in the return of Jesus. I, I live with that sense of passion. I live with that deep desire and wanting to make every day count. And it's not an obsessive thing. It's, it's a life-giving thing. It's, it's, a, it's a holy drive that burns inside of me because of these eternal issues. But, but at the same time, I think to myself, okay, if, if I don't have the privilege of seeing the Lord return in my lifetime, I want to leave this world different than when I came in. It, it's not just a matter of we're here to maintain, we're here to maintain, we're here to maintain. No, we're here to make a difference. We're here to have an impact. And the impact could be through your children or through your grandchildren. Or the impact could be through your secret prayers. Or the impact could be through your giving. The impact could be through your integrity of witness where you are. You're not running someone else's race. You're running your race. But I want to urge you to take hold of this, this reality. You are in a race. We know we're in a fight. We know we're in a battle. But we're in a race. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, run your race so as to win. Yes, it can put a certain pressure on us, but when you take hold of it the other way, God put me here for a purpose. My life is not an accident or something random. James Robinson is a dear, dear friend of mine. We, we speak often, and I don't know how many times I've heard him reference the fact that he's the product of rape and, and, and that his mother, by all accounts, should have had an abortion and didn't. 
God's using him to touch millions and millions of lives. The way he came into the world was a horrible way to come into the world. And what his mother went through was a horrible thing for a mother to go through. And yet out of that, God redeemed it. You may have said, you have no idea how I've messed up on life. You have no idea what's wrong here, here, here. The more God hears that, the more he smiles. He goes, perfect. I can turn this around for good. And, and here's the wonderful thing. God uses regular people like you and me so he gets all the glory. There's no mistake on that day. He gets all the glory. If you go to Texas and find the gravesite of Keith Green, the great gospel musician from the 70s and 80s, went to be with the Lord in an early age in a plane crash, about 28 years old. You'll see right next to that the grave of, of Leonard Gravenhill. And there it is on his gravesite. And there it was on all the letterhead, all the letters he sent me as we got to know each other over the years. Those haunting words are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Friends, we're not here just to be entertained. We're not here just to make it. We're not here just to have a good time. We're not here just to see the American dream fulfilled. If that's it, if, if that's the whole reason we're here, just so that our kids can grow up with a better life than we had in this world, then, friends, that's the most depressing news I've heard in a long time. No, there are eternal rewards God has. There, there are differences that your life could make beyond anything you realize. You say, I'm, I'm just raising my kids. Is there any more sacred calling than that? Is there any more sacred responsibility? You have no idea the impact your child can have for good or for bad. And going through the difficult times and dealing with rebellion and, and, and praying for your kids and fasting for your kids, that could be the difference between life and death. Who knows for millions of people? We don't know. The little church where I got saved and these people prayed me into the kingdom when I was a rebel, full of pride and hatred, no interest in God, and heavy drug user, and they prayed me into the kingdom. I came back many, many years later to preach. They were at a new location. I mean, this is many, many years later. And I brought in a stack of books I had written. I, I would never do this. It would seem egotistical and prideful and self-centered. But it was quite the opposite that day. And I was reading on the backs of the books all the things these different leaders were saying about me and the impact of my ministry. And I said, that's, that's all because of you. People here, no one knows your name. They, they've never heard of you. If... if, if, if a hundred million people saw your picture, only a little handful would know who you are. Most of them not educated. Most of them with very menial jobs. But they knew God, and they knew how to pray. And they prayed me into the kingdom. And by God's grace, we've been able to touch a significant number of people. And who gets the glory for it? God. And who gets some of the reward? Those very people. I called up the one brother who was so instrumental when I was first saved and would pick me up with others and, and drive me to the church service multiple times a week. And, and patient with me in my rebellion and foolishness. And I had a stack of newsletters from our missionaries that we've sent out around the world, people trained in our ministry school, spiritual sons and daughters who are now out around the world. And I called him up. I said, you share in the reward of every one of these, man. Take these. Because... This is some of your fruit as well. 
I want to encourage you every day to realize God's purpose is to make you and me like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, he wants to conform us to the image of his son. And whatever else is going on, that's part of what he's doing. That's part of what he's shaping. That's part of what he's molding. And, and often, the worst times are the best times. The, the best times to grow, the best times to see a miracle, the best times to take hold of God. And whatever you have, whether it's material things, as, as you support a church like this, as you give to missions, you have no idea the impact your money has. You say it's just money. It's not when it's used for the purposes of God. Nothing is just anything if we use it for the glory of God. So I want to encourage you. Don't just try to get by another day. If you're in survival mode, like I said, this is when God's people stand around you and help you. But friends, there's more than just surviving. And when you begin to think, God kept me, I didn't die. This didn't happen. I'm still here. You're here because God still has a purpose. You're here because there's still a race to run. You're here because there's still things God wants to do in you, do through you, and do to you. You know, this season, these themes have been on my heart even more than normal. And trust me, they've been on my heart day and night for decades, literally day and night for decades. But with COVID, many of us lost people close to us, friends, loved ones, family members. And when I got really sick, it was just fine all through COVID. And then right at the end, like many, got hit around Christmas last year. And I was fine initially, just very minor, but then somehow it messed with, with a, a previous small issue with my heart, and I got really weak. I didn't know what was going on. Couldn't get out of bed, completely exhausted. My doctor said, you better get to the hospital, get checked out. You may have COVID pneumonia, which, which I did, but that wasn't the issue. It was that it messed with my heart. And, and right before I hit bottom, a dear friend of decades in his 50s, we lost to COVID. So here you're so weak you can't even move, and then you get that report. You've been trying to pray and, and pray for weeks, and now he's gone. And I remember that night. It was a weird thing. Many of you that went through COVID got hit with fear. I don't normally relate to fear, but I got hit. It's over. I remember thinking, no, it can't be. Not, yeah, there's more to the race I have to run. There's more God called me to do. There are, pro there are promises he put in me, and I haven't seen them fulfilled yet. I thought like, oh, no, how utterly horrific. Just hit, hit bottom for a while, and then in the hospital the next day, and then home recovering after that. But if you're here, friends, if you're breathing, there's a purpose that remains. There are promises that remain. Don't live your life just for now. Live your life in the light of eternity. Come to the end of your life and say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. We receive God's grace. The blood of Jesus washes those things away and gives us a fresh start. And the, the great goal, the ultimate goal, is to hear God say on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray these simple words would stir something in us. I pray that a fresh we would desire to live in the light of eternity. Make our lives count, I pray. May your strength be manifest in our weakness. Give us a sense of purpose 
holy calling and destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Remember to visit the table on the way out. Grab some cards with info on our website. We've got tons of information that'll keep the fire burning in you free on our website. God bless you.